Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Jordan. How are you, man? How's the family and the boys and everything going? We're doing real... uh, (laughs) We're doing really well. They're just growing and... uh, just really, really good kids. They're really affectionate for each other. Uh, I love it. Mine are not affectionate for each other right now. In fact, they're slightly repelled by the presence of the other, but uh, that is 15 and 10, and I think that that's normal. Yeah. The good news is they stick together if attacked from the outside. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they must be normal siblings, so it, it works out well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll grow out, uh, grow out of that. My, my brother and I had you know, things like that where we would have a spat, but then, you know, we would always be there for each other. Yeah. You and your brother have a pretty cool relationship. It's cool to watch from the outside in. So oh, he's, yeah. a, he's a great guy. Great guy. Great yeah. guy. Yeah. Speaking of siblings, we're going to talk about some siblings this week, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I wonder if they ever, well, we know they did. Martha called Mary lazy to Jesus yeah. and told Jesus what to do. So Hey, it's been going on for a long time. Can you imagine just for a moment being one of the siblings of Jesus, though? I had a kid come in my office back when I was university pastor uh, years ago at a different church. And he came and he said, how bad would it have stunk to have been James Christ? (laughs) I'm like, okay, I get what you're saying, but Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. That is the the Greek form of anointed one or Messiah uh, in Hebrew. And so, yeah, but, but to your point, I mean, talk about trying to live up to Jesus. You know, Mary saying to James and Jude and the others, why can't you be more like your brother? Well, mm-hmm. I'm trying, but it takes the Holy Spirit, and I haven't received that yet. So anyway, that's that's a nice little rabbit to chase. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, it's funny, on this conversation, it made me think of uh, the first siblings, you know, one of them killed the other one. So <laughs> They sure did. They didn't get along too well. So, yeah. yeah. But that does make other relationships look a lot better, you know? like So here's the thing. If you have tension in your family, even as grown adults, know that you are normal. Yeah. Doesn't mean the tension's great. Doesn't mean that God doesn't want to restore the relationship, but just know that you're normal. Yep. So let's go ahead and dive into the, the, the relationship that you talked about. So Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So this week's scripture was John eleven five, which is very simple. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we're going to talk about some of these uh, characters' relationships with Jesus. So it's clear. I mean, it, it explicitly said it, that Jesus loved this family. But then the next verse in John goes on to say, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, He, Jesus, stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And then Jesus Jesus did say, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. But Lazarus did die, and it kind of seems cruel that he left a man to die to make a sign. So what, what do we make of that? I think we have to seek through prayer to embody an eternal perspective about not only our own lives, but also about this experience. Because I'm going to tell you, in glory today, 
Lazarus is totally good with the object lesson that came from his life. I promise you the fact that Lazarus had to die twice, you know, that's because that's what happened again. He, he, he got sick, he died, he was raised from the dead, and then he died again. Uh, that's the presumption. We don't know. We don't have any scriptural text to say that no Lazarus the second time just, you know, was taken like Elijah or Enoch into heaven. We, we think he probably died again. Um, so now, 2,000 years later, and whatever that looks like within the context of glory, um, I'd say Lazarus is fine with it. So I think that's, that's a very important part of understanding not only this text, but also our lives, that, that this time that we have on this planet, whether it is 10 minutes or 100 years, the Bible describes as a whisper, a vapor a blade of grass, here today and gone tomorrow. And when you think about the fact that, a, that eternity stretches out eternally, and our finite minds that are totally framed within the space of time, um, we can't grasp it. We, we, we can try, we can try to think abstractly, but we cannot grasp the immensity of eternity because everything that we experience now comes to an end at some point, but eternity doesn't. And so the longer eternity goes on, and I think that there may be even a philosophically, um, I don't even think you can talk about how long eternity goes on because anyway, never mind. <laughs> but, but the longer it stretches out, the smaller this life on this earth becomes if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I do not think that the story of Lazarus is in any way like God being uh, like a kid with a magnifying glass and an ant trying to make the, 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 the being suffer. He wasn't trying to make him suffer to make a, a point, but he certainly, uh, in his sovereignty, had a plan for Lazarus's illness, Lazarus's death, and then Lazarus's resurrection. So in this passage, Jesus did say that this illness does not lead to death, but Lazarus did die. Mm-hmm. Is it fair to say that in some of the passages where Jesus is talking, and, and even really in other passages where like you know rabbinic teachers are talking, when they talk about death, it's a little more loose. That, that death can, doesn't necessarily mean death in this world. It might mean more like you know death in eternity or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I I think that's exactly right, and I think that also. our minds are so framed by the here and now and so limited to the here and now that when Jesus says Lazarus's illness does not end in death, yes, though he physically stopped living, so his his body perished, he died, uh, to the degree that they put him in the tomb four days, and and that was even longer than this, this idea in Judaism at the time that the spirit stayed around for three days. Right. Um, but remember, they didn't have any diagnostic equipment. They weren't hooking people up to an EKG. They didn't, you know... Um, so they needed to make sure people were dead. Well, by four days, you were sure. So I think there was strategy in Jesus waiting until Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. But um, yeah, within the context of, of eternity, Lazarus is very much alive today. And so his illness did not ultimately lead to death. Now, did he have to pass through death? He did. 
Um, but he lives today because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And so I think that's another important thing. And, and, and now let me, let me stretch us here. When our loved ones who are in Christ pass away, that seems and feels so final mm-hmm. because we have not had the opportunity to reconnect with them yet. And in order for us to have that opportunity, if we are in Christ, we also have to experience physical death. So we don't have anybody that can say, oh, it's amazing. When you get to glory and you're there in the presence of Jesus and all your loved ones who've gone before, they're thrilled. Like they're not yearning to come back. Uh, That country song about holes in the floor of heaven where the tears come down is garbage. You know, they're they're having the best time they've ever had. You know, somebody said how you can have your best life now. They're living their best life now, but it's not here on earth. It's in glory. You know, we can't see that. And that's really, really tough for us because all we can see is how their story on earth came to an end. And all we can feel is the pain. You know, Mary and Martha were grieving. It was real grief. It was not kind of grief. It was not religious, you know, facade grief. Their little brother was dead. And they're grieving. And and chances are good they've already lost their parents at an early age. And so, man, what is this? And... um. Now, I say this recognizing that the losses that I have experienced, that my family has experienced, and that I know I will experience um, before my time on this earth comes to an end, they hurt, and they're supposed to hurt. And so you look at Jesus weeping, and I have buddies, bless their hearts, they have to theologize everything. And I said, well, the reason Jesus wept was because of the unbelief of the onlookers, or the reason Jesus wept is because of the, 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 the experience of the uh, logical outworking of sin, which is death, the wages of sin being death. Uh, he's weeping over the, the, the death that reigns on this earth, which could be true, but ultimately I think Jesus is looking into the eyes of Mary And Martha's there, and he says, where have you laid him? And they say, come on. And he weeps. He's he's deeply moved within his spirit, the Bible says. And I think that that is a perfect example of Jesus doing exactly what Paul tells us to do in Romans as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, mourning with those who mourn. Mm. I think Jesus' heart was literally broken for Mary and Martha and the others who were hurting so deeply he knew good and well what was coming next. He was going to Lazarus's tomb. He was going to say, roll the stone away. He knew Martha was going to say, he stinketh, you know, and he knew he was going to say, Lazarus come out. And then Lazarus would come out and they would have to unwrap him from the death, the, the, the clothing that they had put on him, the, the, the grave clothes. He knew all of that. And yet he was still brokenhearted in the moment. And so I think that's so instructive for us. Um, I think that we can know that heaven awaits. We can know that the individual whose loss we are mourning is in a much better place through Jesus Christ, and it's still allowed to hurt. And I think that's one of the things that I spend a lot of time helping people because there's this, there's this I, I would call it a false teaching that runs through Christianity and particularly in evangelical Christianity, for whatever reason, we're very susceptible to this, that, oh, we should be rejoicing they are better. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fine. 
And I agree with that, but I don't agree with it to the point where we try to convince people, even sometimes try to convince ourselves that we shouldn't be sad. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Jordan, you're my friend. And if you were to move away to get your dream job in your dream place, and it was the best thing in the world for your family and for you and all that, I would still be sad that you left, even though I would be happy for you that you were having your dream experience. Well, in the same way, when someone we love passes from this life into the next, when they die in Christ, if they're in Christ, they go to heaven. I'm thrilled for them, but I'm sad for me, and I'm sad for the other people that miss them. And so there's this, this weird juxtaposition of joy and ache all at the same time, and I think that that is so characteristic of life in this sin-fallen world. So when I'm officiating a funeral, and uh, I, I do that a lot, we talk about the joy that we're experiencing, but also the ache. And I always like to tell people, if Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus as he looked into the eyes of Mary and Martha and saw their hurt, then it's okay for us to weep too. And Jesus knew that Lazarus was coming back here in just a moment. You know, Jesus could look ahead and see that there would be a dinner party at the home of Simon the leper, and, and Lazarus would be there. And, and incidentally, Simon's no longer a leper, so we can be at his house. And Mary and Martha would be there, and they would be thrilled. He knew the joy that was coming, and yet he still wept. And I think that that's instructive for us. And so, listeners, if you're going through grief right now, just know that your faith is not weak because it hurts. You can have the strongest faith in the world. You can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that your loved one in Christ is is in glory, having the best day followed by the best the best day. I mean, you know, there's there's not a bad day in heaven. <laughs> there's um, there's nothing but good, but it's still allowed to hurt because you miss them here, and uh, you're still allowed to look forward to that day when you're reunited due to the grace of Jesus Christ uh, in glory. Yeah, and I really appreciate that perspective because on some level it really should hurt because there is a brokenness in the world right now. It, it's not, you know, the world system is not set up to where we're supposed to die and then go to heaven and just, you know, like that's kind of the, the funnel that we're supposed to go through. Like we're not supposed to die. That's not part of the plan. That's because of the fallenness of this world in this age that we have to endure this separation from you know, God in in many ways, and then separation from each other when we do pass. Yeah, well, and and that's such an important point because the best we can do is psychologists will say, well, death is just a natural part of life. Okay, I get where they're coming from, right? But from a theistic Christian perspective, we go back and look at the Garden of Eden and see that death is not a natural part of life. Adam and Eve were not designed to die. Death was a consequence of sin. And that consequence has been passed down to all of us who, uh, who have received not only sinfulness, you know, the sin of Adam, but also the propensity to sin. Uh, we ourselves sin, and we do so before we're even really aware of it. Um, and death is not a natural part of the life that God designed for us. It is a consequence of sin, and so it aches, and the Bible d- describes it as an enemy. 
that, that the last enemy to be conquered is death. And one day the day will come when we will say, where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? Um, but that day's not yet. And so we look forward to that day, and we look forward in faith that those who have, quote, unquote, perished in Christ haven't perished at all. They're good, but we're still allowed to miss them. So shifting gears a little bit, Mary uh, anoints Jesus a little bit after this incident. She anoints him on his head and on his feet, and it's it, it's a show of appreciation for sure, but it, is there something a little bit more to the story? It, like, is this anointing uh, a little bit more meaningful than just uh, a show of hospitality? So yeah, this this account is amazing, and it is repeated several times in the Gospels. So in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 26, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 14, and then in John's Gospel uh, in chapter 12. There is an account of an anointing in Luke, but that's a different woman, different set of circumstances, different everything. Um, but this, this account where we learn from the synoptic writers that it's happening in the house of Simon the leper or Simon the former leper. We learn from John that it's Mary who is the sister of Martha and Lazarus in the context of, hey, they're throwing a banquet because Lazarus is now alive and, and they're blessing Jesus who, who raised Lazarus from the dead. Um, so yes, and I think from Mary's perspective, I think what she was doing was completely an act of devotion and even worship to Jesus. Was there something more going on? There really was. In fact, Jesus reveals that in his words, that she was doing what she could to prepare him for his burial. Now, in saying that, Jesus is once again predicting his death. And, and so many times he said, this is what's going to happen. And his disciples still didn't quite understand it. Um, but in the sovereignty of God, even though Mary, I think, was probably unaware of the depth of meaning in what she was doing, uh, God had her doing something very important. And so she is. She's anointing his head. We learn from Matthew and Mark and, and, and John, we learn that uh, she's anointing his feet. And, and there would be people who say, well, see, the Bible has errors in it. You know, Matthew and Mark said that she anointed his head, and John said he anoint, she anointed his feet. Well, why can't it be both? Mm. And the answer is, yes, she did anoint both his head and his feet. Um, Nard was a, a deeply, deeply valuable um, perfume, fragrance, oil, uh, came out of India, and it was very expensive. I mean, you know, Judas put a price on this, that what she used to anoint Jesus could have been sold for 300 denarii, which is roughly a year's wages. Um, uh, for a worker, a denarius um, was a day's wage. And so, you know, 300 denarii, you're talking about 300 days. And then when you factor in Shabbat, you know, I mean, we're talking about roughly a year's work for a human being. And so I always like to say, if you want to know what it's worth, just put down your yearly salary and say, this is what she spent in lavishing this on Jesus. I don't think she knew what she was doing completely. She knew from her perspective, but I think in the sovereignty of God, um, God was using her to truly, again, predict and foreshadow Jesus's impending death, but also to care for him in his impending death. And um, that's a beautiful thing.
So, so what does that mean for us? Well, I, I think there are plenty of times when God uses us to do things that we really don't know what we're doing. We don't understand why. We don't understand why we are where we are. We don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. And that can come down to things like our employment and what city we live in, but also what road are we driving down? You know, how many times has, has God had us in the right place at the right time to be helpful to people um, or to, to speak a word in season, a word of encouragement, a word of comfort to somebody? Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the grocery store and I will run into somebody who either attends our church or watches the broadcast or listens to this podcast, and we get into a discussion, and it is a thoroughly holy moment that I absolutely was not preparing for uh, or planning on. And God in his sovereignty just orchestrates things in that way, and I think this was one of those moments. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. So we've got one more question for today. Let's make this practical with today's practical application question. So how do we recognize the times when sitting at Jesus' feet, like Mary did, does need to shift into serving others like Martha? Where Where is that balance? That's a really, really good question. Um, and, and frankly, there have been people throughout history who have erred on one or the other sides, you know. Um, so you look at the monastic movement and I mean, there were literally monks who would sit on top of poles and, and I'm, I mean, they had a platform on top of a pole and that was the only way they felt like they could escape, um, sinful temptation and live a life of pure asceticism, uh, completely devoted to God. And, and no doubt, I think there are definitely people who are called to more, um, monastic style lives. I'm not saying that's for everybody, um, but I do think that there are people who are called to renounce um, all the things that we normally would pursue um, to devote themselves to Christ. But but I think that uh, that is a very specific calling for very specific folks. Um, I think that there's got to be a balance. So in my life, what that looks like is I devote certain times to certain things. So in the morning, um, that morning time, particularly when I'm on my way to the gym, I'm in the Word. Uh, that's the way I do my Bible reading. I listen to it while I'm driving. I, I am a great auditory learner. Um, I'm the kind of person that I can read it and miss it, but if I hear it, mm-hmm. um, that is, that is, it sticks with me. And even when I was studying for tests, I would talk about the subject matter. And if I could hear my own voice saying it and, and be in conversation with someone, it would lock it in better for me. So on my way to the gym, I'm listening to the word and I do not allow myself to open any other apps on my phone. I don't allow, I mean, it's, it's just me and the Lord, and uh, we're having that time, and that time does not come to an end until I've typed in or, or dictated a reflection um, on my phone. So that is a time where I'm not checking social media, I'm not checking news feeds, I'm not checking any of that. It is a time where I am hearing the Word of God, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. 
Um, there are times throughout my day where I will get alone in prayer. So I think Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount that, that, that there are times we go into our prayer closet where I think that, that our body posture matters. Uh, there are times when I am uh, throughout the day on my face before God in prayer. And um, that, is, that is very meaningful to me. And there are time, those times are times that I shut the world out. It's just me and the Lord. But then there are also times uh, throughout the day where I may be in the truck going from one place to another, and I'm using that time for prayer. Uh, or I may be walking the dog, and that's a great time to pray. But also, uh, you know, I'm open to interruption, but, you know, the Apostle Paul writes that we should pray without ceasing, and I don't think that that's hyperbole. I think that we are, if you would picture a Bluetooth device in your ear and you're on the phone with somebody else constantly as you go about your day, um, that's a a helpful way for me to think about prayer, that the conversation's always open between me and the Lord, always. And um, so there are certainly times where you break away. Jesus did that. He got alone very early in the morning, or he would stay very late at night into the early morning and pray and and have that time with uh, of aloneness with his Father who is in heaven. Um, but then there's very much this this example he gives of flowing in the Spirit and being able to discern the moment in the moment and bring the holy into the common. Um, and I think that we're called to do that as well. So, so the answer to your question is this. The, the longer we walk with the Lord and we practice our faith, and what I mean by that is we don't put our faith up on a shelf as what we do on Sundays for an hour or Wednesday nights or, or whatever that may be, but we practice our faith by living it out we get a lot of really good experience. So I think it has to be a, a, a measure of both. There are times when we need to sit at Jesus' feet and the world will not interrupt us. We, we are thoroughly involved in paying attention to Jesus. And there are times when we need to be serving, using the gifts, talents, abilities, and resources he's given us to serve him and to serve others. Um, and I think that uh, the longer we do it, um, the better we get at it. But the other thing I want to say is this. Martha allowed her service, which I think I said Sunday, I think started from a very positive place. Yeah. She allowed it to go to a very negative place. And and man, good things can can distract us from God. Satan will even use good to distract us from God. And if it distracts us from God, then it's no longer good. It was a good thing that Martha was serving. If Martha hadn't served, there wouldn't have been food. But you're in the presence of Jesus. How important is food? I mean, you know, so I think we have to constantly be checking ourselves as we serve. You know, we, we can do that here at church. Oh, I'm helping do this. Well, nobody else is doing anything. And rah, 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 you know, and, and all of a sudden, what started out as a good thing and a godly thing has been used of Satan um, to be even a, a source of temptation for us. And so I think that we just constantly have to be checking ourselves. And uh, one of the prayers I pray a lot, uh, I can be tempted to, to judge other people in their service to God or, you know, um, and, and the Bible says, who am I to judge another servant, you know? I that person will give an account to God of what they're doing. So I need to be concerned about me. 
I need to be, you know, I can be tempted sometimes to to judge other preachers. Well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have said it that way. You know what? That that individual is going to stand before God and give an account of his ministry. I'm going to do that too, so maybe I should focus on me. You know, now if somebody's asking me about a preacher who is in error, which happened this Sunday, um, then yeah, I think I have a, a responsibility as a pastor, as a shepherd, to say, yeah, I wouldn't follow that other shepherd because they're going to lead you astray. Um, but just in terms of serving God, man, uh, Martha got led to a very rough place, and Jesus responded to her with love, Martha, Martha. I love it. Oh my goodness, it gives me goosebumps, Martha, Martha. You are concerned with a lot of things. You are distracted by a lot of things. Mary's chosen the best thing. I'm not going to take it away from her. Um, so I think that's an excellent way to frame it is, am I being distracted by my service? And how do I need to come back to Jesus? That's so good. I can't help but think of this quote that I ran across this weekend. Uh, it's from Paul Philip Levertov. And he said, the love of man to God, which comes from the keeping of the law, is a love which proceeds from the outer side of the heart. But the love which the repentant sinner feels for God comes from within the heart. So, you know, the love of man to God, which comes from the keeping of the law, is a love which proceeds from the outside of the heart. But the love which the repentant sinner feels for God comes from within the heart. It's not that, you know, Keeping the law is bad. And in this case, she was, you know, serving, which was a good thing, right? It's another good thing. That's right. But it's that there's this deeper love that you have that comes from when you understand what is being given to you and what you're receiving through the teaching of Christ and really in the service of Christ. You know, Mary's sitting at his feet, absorbing his teaching, and, you know, she remains a disciple of him after, you know, after his ascension. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Martha does too, but in this case, she was too too far out. It's, you know, she was doing too much service through the outer part of her heart, but not sitting back and really accepting um, things from the inside of her heart. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to put it, and that's a great distinction. Um, yeah, we, <laughs> we get to enjoy Jesus. He's glorified as we enjoy him. And sometimes the way we enjoy him is by serving him, and, and sometimes the way we enjoy him is by sitting and soaking it all in. Incidentally, the fact that Mary was a woman and learning from Jesus is a huge deal mm -hmm. and um, a beautiful, beautiful thing um, because women were not viewed with esteem in this day. They were viewed as property. Jesus didn't view Mary as property. He viewed her. Uh, he viewed her as one worthy of his teaching and worthy of learning, um, and uh, just a beautiful, beautiful moment with Jesus. Amen. Can you praise out for today? I can. Let's pray. Lord, let us have beautiful moments with you, and you have, and you do, and you will. And Lord, we're just so thankful for that. We're so thankful for all the ways that you allow us to experience you. And we're so thankful for the eternal hope that we have in you. We're thankful that Lazarus and Mary and Martha are doing great today. And we look forward to meeting them all in glory. Lord, along the way, help us to continue to be encouraged by the eternal hope that we have but help us to also be encouraged by the fact that you looked into the eyes of those hurting women when they had lost their brother, and you wept. Well, if you wept, 
it's okay for us to weep too. Lord, we surrender ourselves yet again to your Lordship and pray that you would have your way in us, all to the glory of Almighty God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fuying Engdahl.